Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Good morning, Lifeline. I'm not going to spend much time in the way of background or introduction. Uh, By now, most of you know me, and if not, my apologies. Uh, At this point in your study of Ezekiel, I imagine you know all about this great Israelite prophet, this prophet who was not only prophet, but also a priest, this man who was taken as a captive of the Babylonian kingdom about 600 years before the birth of Christ. And while he was yet in captivity, the Lord led him to a prophetic ministry. In chapter 6, this imprisoned prophetic preacher says to all of Israel, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, now says to us in chapter 6 of Ezekiel, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, face the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. You are to say, mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. This is what the Lord God says to the mountains and the hills, to the ravines and the valleys. I am about to bring the sword against you, and I will destroy your high places. Your altars will be desolated and your shrines smashed. I will throw down your slain in front of your idols. I will lay the corpses of the Israelites in front of their idols and scatter your bones around your altars. Wherever you live, the cities will be in ruins and the high places will be desolate so that your altars will lie in ruins and be desecrated, your idols smashed and obliterated, your shrines cut down and what you have made wiped out. The slain will fall among you and you will know that I am Lord. I have to confess, I I love reading Ezekiel because he preaches like he's got nothing to lose. That's a mouthful to say if from your pulpit. It's not what people want to hear. I imagine if your pastor said something like that to you on Sunday, I can't imagine what your response might be. I can't imagine what it would do for giving. But as you know, Ezekiel is not just saying this because it will make Ezekiel feel good. Ezekiel is not on some power trip over his fellow captives, but Ezekiel, enlightened by God, notices something strange about the Israelites. He notices a sort of dichotomy between the ordinances of the one true God and the religious practices of Israel. We could spend all day working through the various forms of sinfulness plaguing Ezekiel's community, but there's a sense in which it can really be summed up and Israel's failing to fall, follow the first two commandments. First, that you shall have no gods before me, and two, that you shall not have any idols. And so God has his prophets say to all of Israel, I'm coming to destroy your high places of worship. I'm coming to smash your shrines. I will lay dead people in front of their idols. I will spread the bones of the dead all over your altars. Your high places of worships will be desecrated, your cities demolished, your idols smashed and obliterated, your shrines cut down, and what you have made wiped out. And and get this, because the object of your worship is incorrect. 
Why? Why all of this, you might ask? So that you will know that I am Lord, God says through his prophet in verse 7. This is frightening language. It, it ought to strike you. Christian, let me ask you this morning, what are the idols in your life? What, what in your life supersedes the role that God is designed to play? One of the great themes in the book of Ezekiel is the holiness and sovereignty of God. And Ezekiel makes clear the idea that God is God and all by himself. Now, you may not be tempted to make golden images of God and to put them in high places. But what is it in your life that God takes a backseat to? Brothers and sisters, if COVID-19 has taught you nothing else, it ought to teach you that your friends, your family, your job, your vain religious exercises, your 401k and your IRA are fragile, frail, and fluting. Our friends, family, and job are good, good gifts from a gracious God, but they themselves make terrible gods. And the Lord makes clear in Ezekiel 6 that he will have no gods before him. And I would hate for the Lord to have to get your attention by taking something away from us. For us to fully understand that. God does not play second fiddle to anyone. He will be Lord. And you can either understand that or you can be made to understand that, Ezekiel says to us. I'm in verse 8 of chapter 6. Yet I will leave a remnant when you are scattered among the nations. For throughout the countries, there will be some of you who will escape the sword. Then your survivors will remember me among the nations when they are taken captive. Now, how I was crushed by their promiscuous hearts that turned away from me, and by their eyes that lusted after the idols. They will loathe themselves because of the evil things they did, their detestable actions of every kind, and they will know that I am Lord. I did not threaten to bring disaster on them without reason. In verses 8 through 10, we see that this same God, whose wrath is bent towards us, this same God whose judgment has our sinfulness in its crosshairs, that same God is rich in mercy. It would appear in chapters 1 through 6, verse 7, that no one would survive the judgment of God on Israel. However, verse 8 starts with a short word, three letters that provides great comfort. The word yet, or your translation may say, but, but God, even though his judgment is bent towards all of Israel, he promises to spare some of Israel. He promises that these exiles will see their sin, see that their sin led to their suffering and captivity. He, he says that they will loathe themselves because of the evil things they had done. This imagery here should be familiar to you. This is a foreshadowing of the idea of repentance. This part of the text ought to remind us that God will often chastise us in an effort to remind us of his godliness. This sanctifying work in all of us will lead us to see our, our idolatrous and loathsome ways. But it's not always going to be pretty. 
though it is a glorious truth that God is not only a God of judgment, but also a God of mercy, his mercy might not feel good in the short term. But this prophet says to all of Israel and also to us that this short-term chastisement is not in vain because it brings us back to God in long-term repentance. We have a good father, a father that is shaping us, molding us, a father that disciplines us. And verse 10 reminds us that he does so with reason. And we can trust that those reasons are good, brothers and sisters. In verses 11 through 14, God reiterates that he is still going to bring judgment on Israel. The Lord commands Ezekiel to say this as loudly as he can, to draw attention to himself, to clap his hands, to stump his feet, to cry over all of the evil of Israel, that judgment will come upon them. Verses 13 and 14 lay out the purpose behind God displaying his wrath once more again, so that they will know that I am Lord. I do not have time to camp out here, but let me just say, God deserves your attention and affection because he is God. And rest assured, he will get your attention one way or the other. There is coming a day when we will all see the Lord and he will have our complete and undivided attention. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, scripture tells us. And I hope for all of our sakes that this is not the first time that we have bowed our knee and confessed with our tongues. Brothers and sisters, his wrath is promised for those who do not know him as Lord. Chapter seven functions seemingly as a recapitulation of chapter six. Ezekiel warns that this punishment is imminent. It is not far off, that is. And Ezekiel is right, Nebuchadnezzar's King Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of Jerusalem, Jerusalem is drawing near. The Lord says through his prophet that he is going to unleash his anger on his people. God reiterates this through this prophet preacher in verses 3, verse 4, 8, and 9. And this judgment has come due to their detestable practices. That phrase, detestable practices, is repeated over and over. And he again restates in verse 4 and 9 that this is being done to make them acknowledge God as the Lord. In verse 11, we read that wealth will fall under the judgment of a sovereign God. In verse 10, 12, we learn that poverty and things that you buy and sell fall under the judgment of the sovereign God. In verse 16, we see that even those who live through God's judgment will indeed lose everything. I'm in verse 19 of chapter 7. They will throw their silver into the streets, and their gold will seem like something filthy. Their silver and gold will be unable to save them in the day of the Lord's wrath. They will not satisfy their appetites or fill their stomachs. For these were the stumbling blocks that brought about their iniquity. He appointed his beautiful ornaments for majesty, but they 
made their detestable images from them. They're, they're abhorrent things, therefore I have made these into filthy to them. I will hand these things over to foreigners as plunder and, and to wicked of the earth as spoil. And they will profane them. I will turn my face from them as they profane my treasured place. Violent men will enter and profane it. Notice the wealth and prosperity of the people provided them nothing. That's a good word for some of us in here. Mark 8.36 ought to be echoing in your ears as you read of silver being thrown in the streets, gold appearing filthy, and beautiful ornaments being made into idols. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Ezekiel goes on to explain how God will allow his people to experience punishment, to be conquered, to have the holiest of holy places defiled by the Babylonians. In verse 25, God tells his people that they will look for peace and there will be none. In fact, in verse 26, the prophet warns that it will be pointless to even seek peace. Ezekiel closes this section by saying, I will deal with them according to their own conduct, and I will judge them by their own standards. Then they will know that I am the Lord. God essentially says, I will pour my wrath out on them, and they will realize that their false gods cannot save them. Then then they will see me for who it is that I am. You Bible scholars will recall that Jeremiah predicted a similar catastrophe. And you will remember how the people responded to that prophet. They rejected him. They refused to believe that they would be conquered. They refused to believe that the teaching of priests would be lost. They refused to believe that the prophets would be silenced. But Ezekiel makes crystal clear in this text that prophets, priests, elders have no wisdom to offer in the face of God's impending judgment. The political leadership will collapse in the face of God's wrath, and they themselves will have absolutely no hope. Ezekiel's picture of God's anger is particularly frightening when we remember that God's just judgment is due on our sin. When we remember that our sin angers the very heart of God, we stand guilty in front of a righteous, holy God, and his wrath is ours to bear. Brothers and sisters, God knew this. God saw that we had no earthly recourse. God saw that we were hopeless. So 2,000 years ago, God sent his son through 42 generations. He sent his son to live a life that none of us could live. He, he sent his son to Calvary's cross. And there at the cross, God took all of his wrath, all the wrath due on your sin, all the wrath due on my sin. And he poured it on his son. And Jesus Christ, our prophet, priest, and king, drank that cup. He drank the cup of wrath dry. He, he died on that cross. He, he died until the sun refused to shine. He, he died until death itself died. He died until the wrath of God was satisfied. He died the death, brothers and sisters, that we deserve to die, but he didn't stay there. They put him in a borrowed tomb. 
And three days later, Jesus Christ conquered death. Jesus rose from the dead. But that's not all. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to exact his judgment, to separate the living from the dead, to take some unto eternal life and others unto eternal judgment. But for those who come to him in faith, we don't have to see God's wrath. We do not have to see God's full and final judgment. But we can experience a relationship defined by grace and mercy. Brothers and sisters, Ezekiel's picture of God is a real one. God is full of wrath. God is a scary God. God is a dangerous God. God is a jealous God who will have no gods before him. I pray on that day when you stand before God that he sees you through Christ, a Christ you've made more important than all of your earthly possessions, a, a Christ that you have put all of your earthly, earthly hope and trust in so that you do not have to experience God's wrath. Would you bow your heads and breathe a word of prayer with me? Our Father and our God, we do come proclaiming that you are God and you are God all by yourself. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and the hope and help that is ours in his name. Father, we come confessing that we have made idols out of all kinds of things that you've created. Father, we, we ask that you would give us grace to make you the focal point focal point of our attention, that you would be the apple of our proverbial eye. Father, we come asking that anything that might separate us from you, that you might remove it. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the good gospel witness that Lifeline is. I, I pray that you would continue to give them grace upon grace to run with endurance the race that you have set before, him. I, before them. I pray Father, that you would continue to conform each of us here and all of your church at large to look more and more like your son each day. Father, is it in that saving son's name, Jesus, that we do pray? Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.